You're listening to the Prison Poetry Workshop Podcast. I'm Ren Smith. Here we present readings, commentary, recordings, and stories about the little-known and even less understood literary tradition of prison poetry. You can never tell how life is going to turn out. When Randall Horton arrived in Washington, D.C. from Birmingham, Alabama in the 1970s, his future looked bright. He'd come from a family of middle-class educators and was a good student and athlete. He'd had his pick of colleges. I got a scholarship to, I mean, to Alabama A&M to play football. And, you know, I had some local scholarships, but I wanted to go leave home so bad that's kind of turned those down. Like, I'm not staying I'm around here. I want to go to D.C. He enrolled at historically black Howard University. He studied there for four and a half years before getting caught up in the drug plagues of the 1980s and dropping out. Drugs consumed his life for more than a decade. 1997, I found myself uh, in Montgomery County um, Detention Center um, facing uh, some charges on um, burglary and theft by possession. Uh, after having served 18 months in Fairfax County, you know, <laughs> pretty much the same charges. Having left higher learning behind years before, Horton hadn't sat down to write for a long time. So, you know, I'm the, you know, for me, it's like, I, how can I save time? <laughs> so I jump, so I go to, you know, so I say, well, I go to the jail addiction service program. I try to bear it out. Prison changed that. Funny thing happened. Um, um, you have to, so when you go to that program, uh, you have to do things, you know, and so one of them was you had to write. It was in group therapy sessions that Horton began to receive compliments on his writing. Pretty soon, he was seeking out authors he might emulate. Yeah, there's an article in the Washington Post uh, about E. Ethelbert Miller, poet at Howard University. So I read it, you know, I had gone to Howard, and I didn't even know him while I was there, you know, and that's how, how terrible I was. The article offered that Miller had written a memoir, so Randall read his book. Later, he wrote Miller a letter, telling him of how he dreamed of becoming a writer himself. And that sort of started a long a conversation between us in terms of, I mean, just the idea of someone that was writing, to have that connection meant a whole lot to me. And, you know, I would send him my earlier poems and things like that, and I know he had to be laughing, but, you know, he was always gracious um, and always encouraging. Uh, so that began my journey. Soon he was writing poetry for guys on the inside as well, especially for girlfriends back home. It was this guy named Sebastian, and, and uh, he was, you know, stressing on his girl hadn't written him back in, you know, a few uh, few months. And he knew I was writing all the time. He said, like, man, will you write my, letter, uh, my girl a letter? Because he was kind of illiterate. So... So I sat down one day and talked to him and said, tell me, you know, about your girlfriend. So I got all these characteristics. And so I, I created this letter and then she wrote him back, you know. <laughs> so, so that started, you know, my, in my career. <laughs> so. When it came time for Horton to attend a hearing about the possibility of joining a work release program, some of his writing teachers showed up. So did his father who'd come all the way from Birmingham, Alabama. I'll never forget what the prosecutor said. 
in terms of when we were asking for a modification of sentence, he was like, Judge, um, Mr. Horton has had 38 years to get his life together, and he's failed to do so, so we don't see why he should have a second chance or opportunity to do anything but serve his time. Horton was feeling frustrated and powerless. He knew he'd changed, but he was worried he'd never have a chance to prove it. And I'm like, they're talking about me, you know what I mean? It's like, it's interesting when you're like, you know, you're the third person in the room and everybody's having this conversation about who you are or who they think you are. Man, it was real interesting. I mean, I mean, to them, I just wasn't anything. I was just lowest, you know, the scum of the earth, like the lowest subhuman that there was. And I'm like, wow, wow, I mean, I mean, is that really me? Randall's father, Clarence, says he wasn't feeling very optimistic about his son's chances. When, well, when he first came in, it looked like he was on his way to jail. No, it was, it was very uh, somber and... Uh, it got serious, and it really, it, it really turned into something that was, I don't think, was expected by the judge nor the people uh, was at, you know, at the trial. But Randall says his father saved the day. He was just, man. He, man, he broke down. He was just like, man, you know, he's, his, you know, my son is a life, is a life worth saving. You know, you got to believe in him because he's not a bad kid. He's made some bad decisions, but he knows the difference between right or wrong. We raised him right. You give him another chance, I believe in him. Uh, I think I was, you know, explaining to her that I thought it was worth, worth, worth uh, saving him because I thought he would make him a, a, a good citizen. And it's one of the most powerful moments um, in the courtroom. Like, um, everybody was crying, man. You know, my, my lawyer was crying. <laughs> when the judge approved him for work release... Randall was stunned. So were others. When I was going back to the um, the holding cell, the bailiff, who had been with the judge for like 30 years, he was like, man, you got a miracle today. <laughs> He's like, I've been with that judge for a long time, and she don't give nobody favors. You said, consider yourself lucky today. I've never seen anything like it. While he was serving out his work release in North Carolina, Horton discovered slam poetry, where performers compete to see who can recite the best spoken word poem. I would look on the internet when I was in um, North Carolina and look up slam and see all these people performing, and I was like, wow, I just want to go do that, you know? So when he got back to D.C.? So that was one of the first things I did. I began to go and slam at Tism and, you know, um, and sort of do that. And I can I, and I remember the first time I got up to do a poem, this, this uh, young poet named uh, Ebony Golden. She was, she was getting her MFA in America, and, and she sort of judged me, and she gave me a 10 on my little poem, right? And I was like, oh, okay. And so she came up after when she said, I really think that you have a gift for craft. Ebony Golden knew what she was talking about. Since then, Randall has published four books. He currently teaches poetry at New Haven University in Connecticut. We'll leave off with one of his poems, one that recalls how tough his journey was at times. You know, I just was just, you know, dissatisfied with the world. So I just went into the state of homelessness and, you know, you know, in a weird way in the beginning, it was like, it was sort of like this adventure. You know, I don't know if that makes any sense. And then it became it came this thing to sort of like not let it eat me alive. And so I can, you know, I'm going to handle this. So it literally became one day at a time. How do I handle this? Part of living from day to day 
was the hunt for food. So Randall frequented a place in D.C. that provided free breakfast. The church, and they used to, um, you could go there, and if you were homeless, you could go there and eat uh, breakfast in the morning. They had good breakfast. So you, you know, they had pancakes and scrambled eggs. That's like the bonanza, you know. And so, but in order to get it, you have to listen to this whole sermon by this guy. So it was, so it was like a, you know, interesting thing. Like you got to go get this religion before you can get the food. Years later, he memorialized the experience. It's called Reverend Ezel Show Can Preach. From the pulpit of the United Church of Christ, sporting white pinstripes and two-tone shoes to color paper money and communion wine, Reverend Ezel delivers Saturday morning sermon before the homeless eat pancake and eggs. He is one half James Brown, the other little Richard, the way his feet answers the organ's call. For an hour he holds his hotches and preaches, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into thine own understanding. When he finishes spreading gospel, he takes out a pearl bone silk handkerchief and wipes his brow sweat. Careful to quick flash the pinky diamond blinding everybody in the first pew. Satisfied his good deed for the day is good, he exits the back door into a stoplight red Cadillac with donut white walls. Before he notices the CD player is gone, stolen, I bend the corner to Crown's Pawn Shop, hoping Rev understands it is better to give than to receive. That was poet Randall Horton. I'm Ren Smith. We'll be back next week with more prison poetry. To find out how you can lend your voice to our poetry archive, go to prisonpoetryworkshop.org.